Been drinking Boyer's coffee for a long, long time. Start my day with it, and when I'm at home, as I tell you, at the ballpark, I get uh, a couple of cups of Boyer's to get me through the ball game. Uh, Boyer'sCoffee.com is where you'll find all of their wonderful products, all of their wonderful flavors, and you can learn about their history as well because it's interesting, it's unique. Um, they're a great community partner, and they've been brewing outstanding coffee in the Rocky Mountains since 1965. And uh, again, you can have it delivered right to your house like I do by just clicking a couple of buttons and you don't even have to worry about shopping for it and you never run out. That's the best way to handle things though. Boyer's products are in your local market as well. Boyer'sCoffee.com Summer's fully upon us now, which means uh, you've been pruning and you've been taking care of that yard hopefully for several months. Well, you gotta go and check out Steel. S-T-I-H-L SteelUSA.com or SteelDealers.com to find the dealer near you. There's more than 10,000 around the country. They have so many wonderful products. And uh, now's the time to go and find your battery-operated steel product. They last forever. They're super powerful. And they help you get the job done. So go shopping. Treat yourself. It's the summer going to make uh, you feel a lot better about your property. It's going to put a smile on your face. It's a wonderful uh, toy to give yourself here at the start of the summer. Steel, S-T-I-H-L. I love all of their stuff. SteelUSA.com, SteelDealers.com. This week on the Drew Goodman Podcast, remembering the great George Frazier. Here's Drew. Welcome in, everybody. It is podcast number 207, I believe, unless I've lost count, which is entirely possible. Not going to lie, it's been a rough week, and I'm sure you have heard that um, we lost uh, a great friend. All Rockies fans lost a a great friend, and and for those that knew George Frazier, we lost uh, a mountain of a guy. it, it, it's it's been tough. I have to I have to be honest. Uh, George had been battling some things a few weeks ago, and uh, all of us who knew him well were really concerned. And then, because George seemingly had nine lives and had a toughness to him, um, he was doing much better, and he was at home. And then. Um, and then something turned, and, and unfortunately, uh, we lost him. And it was a shock when, it, when I heard. Um, and there were so many emotions going through my brain, so many thoughts about George. And when you lose someone so young, and George was young, he was 68. And he was always so full of life. And uh, I keep coming back to the term character. And I was asked by several members in the media about George and to recollect stories. And I, and I always came back to character. And in a game, a sport that spawned so many characters and has spawned so many characters, uh, George had a seat at the head table without question. And those that knew him in the game, and he seemingly knew everyone, adored George. They were entertained by George. They laughed with and and about George because he was one of the great storytellers in sports. And 
that he was one of those people, you know, maybe you have a friend that, you know, never forgets movie lines or always remembers stories from 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago. George was that guy. And he remembered fine details of stories from 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago. And he loved telling those tales and we could get him going and he'd regale you in stories. And sometimes, you know what, he'd forget that he told you that story on Monday and it was Wednesday and he was retelling it. But he'd always add some details. And perhaps there was some embellishment along the way. In fact, I've said this many times about George and I, and I say this, you know, with, with a smile and... That is that there were so many times that George would tell a story and there'd be a couple of us there and we'd be laughing, gut laughing. And you'd walk away and you'd look at each other and you'd say, that couldn't have happened. Or that had to be really embellished. But it didn't matter because it was a great tale and it was super funny and super entertaining. And that was George. But let me tell you something else about George Frazier. George was a great, and I mean great, friend. He cared about people, and his close friends were family. And I can tell you countless times where he would go and do something for you, whatever you needed, he would be there for you, and he would get it done. And he was that way with a lot of folks. And if he met you, you were his friend. And uh, he treated everybody well. I mean, he knew, you know, ushers and, and, and people who did various tasks around the ballpark. And he treated everyone the same. And he treated everyone as a friend. And he loved people, enjoyed being around people. Uh, one of my favorite George stories and is that, you know, and I spent so many years on the road with him. George, and we'd reference this on the air, it's not, no secret, George was a smoker. And he, he'd call his cigarettes heaters. And George would be outside of every hotel in Major League Baseball, right in front of the hotel, and he'd find a, a bench to sit on. And... In between heaters, he's chatting up the valets, the bellmen. You know, players would come out and spend a few minutes with them, and then they'd move on, coaches. And invariably, in the morning, I would come back from a run, and I would sit there, and George and I would talk, and he'd give me a hard time about all the exercise. And, and uh, it just... I, I, I smile right now as I'm telling the story. That, that was George. And uh, there were things about George, because it, it's funny, because George was a great athlete. He grew up, you know, he was born in, in Oklahoma City, but he, he grew up in Springfield, Missouri. And his late older brother, Keith, was a, was a Vietnam vet, and was a tremendous athlete. And, and in many ways, George idolized Keith. And George was a great athlete, really good football player. He was a great high school basketball player. Obviously, he was a tremendous pitcher, and he had opportunity to go and play college basketball. He high jumped somewhere close to seven foot as well, 
And George went to the University of Oklahoma, I think, as, as many of you know, and, and he had a nice career at Oklahoma and then on uh, into professional uh, baseball. He took great pride in where he was from. He ended up settling in Tulsa. And he had, I just keep thinking of, of all the stories he had from when he was at Oklahoma, when he was growing up in, in Missouri. His dad, you know, had a business where they were uh, involved with, you know, telephone lines and and so they were out in, in rural parts of Missouri and, and Oklahoma and George would be working in the summers for him and he had a great he had a great work ethic but the funny thing going back is that you know George is a wonderful athlete but I'd always tease him that after he jogged off the field in the 1987 World Series in which the Minnesota Twins captured a title that was the last time he'd exercised he smoked his heaters um, he, he didn't exactly adhere to a healthy diet. He he ate uh, a ton of butter with everything. In fact, I remember once being at the Steel City Diner with him, among a zillion breakfasts I had with him. And you know, George would order eggs and and you know bacon and pancakes. And then you know, at a diner, they give you healthy portions, of everything. So the butter would come in a tr in, you know in like a plate. George would take that plate, dump all the butter on top of his breakfast, and then immediately, immediately, without fail, ask for more butter. And then he dumped that second thing on there, and I'd go, Frage, easy on the butter. Um, the other thing we used to do at breakfast is we would have an under-over on how many pieces of bacon George would consume. And usually... The number was somewhere nine and a half, ten and a half in terms of under over. I mean, he could polish off some bacon. And we got this news, obviously, that he had passed in Cincinnati. And uh, Tavis Strand, our, one of our longtime producers, he was smiling. He said, You know what? It was that table over there where George had 16 pieces of bacon one morning. And, you know, it, it, it's great, again, that you can think back and smile and reminiscing about somebody you loved and cared so much about. George became legendary in many ways. One of the ways and one of the areas that a lot of people got to know him beyond television after his career and, and bringing you great insight uh, every night to the Rockies was at fantasy camp. George, for many years, was a fixture at Fantasy Camp and ultimately became the commissioner of Fantasy Camp. And one of the great things about Rocky's Fantasy Camp is that they have what's known in baseball as a kangaroo court. And kangaroo court is where, where, you, where you get fines, usually nominal type of fines for you know, forgetting uh, a loop on your belt or forgetting the belt altogether. You're dealing with a lot of um, people that either haven't played the game in a long time or perhaps never played the game or, or you know, certainly hadn't dressed in a uniform in, in quite a while. And some crazy stuff always happens at fantasy camp. And one of the greatest parts of fantasy camp is the get-together in the theater down in Scottsdale uh, for kangaroo court in the morning and usually kangaroo court usually lasts about 
30 minutes. It's uproariously funny and made more so because of how Frazier would dole out the fines. And I mean, George was in his element. He's so quick-witted and, you know, he kind of had that, you know, that Oklahoma twang in his speech. And one of my dear friends, a, a guy I, I originally met in fantasy camp and George met in fantasy camp is, and I know he doesn't mind me giving his name out, is Steve Foster. And uh, Steve, Steve's a wonderful guy and he's a great sport. And he, and he was always, uh, <laughs> he was always someone that, that George could find. And it became like a running joke. So Steve one year brings his wife and this goes back several years, and he ends up getting a divorce. So literally a year later, he brings another lady who he ultimately married. So Frazier that year, because he had this relationship with Steve, he fined Foster $100 for bringing a new lady to fantasy camp. And I know if you're not there, you're like, but that's a little strange. It, it was funny. Trust me, folks. It was funny. So then fast forward to the next year and he fined him $200 for bringing the same lady back two years in a row who was his new wife. Um, there was not a dry eye in the theater. People were just crying, laughing. I mean, Frazier, Frazier could twist anything around. He was amazing. Um, it, it's it's tough as I, I sit here and I have a smile on my face thinking back, um, but I've said this now a couple times to people who knew him well, and the thing that I'll miss the most, and I would have people come up to me and and ask me uh, on a regular basis, hey, do you talk to Frazier anymore? And I would always tell them, yeah. I said, three, four weeks don't go by that I don't talk to George, and there's a lot of times I'll talk to, I, I would talk to him once a week, certainly during baseball season, I would talk to him quite a bit, but even in the off season. And the thing I'll miss the most, this is what I was alluding to, is being on a drive. I knew if I was going to be in the car for 45 minutes, an hour or so, I would call Frazier on a regular basis in those situations because I know George would entertain me and make me laugh and we'd catch up and we'd catch up on friends and family and we'd giggle. And next thing you know, you know, the drive was over. And I was like, you know, Frazier helped kill 30, 35 minutes of it. It was awesome. I'm going to miss that. Um, and even right now, thinking about the fact that I can't pick up the phone and call Georgie and, uh, and laugh, it, uh, it sucks. George was a great father to Parker, who played professional baseball, Brian, Matt, and Georgia. And he had a slew of grandchildren now, and he, he would send me pictures um, in fact, recently he sent me a picture. He had uh, one of George's little ones. He was holding the baby, and I and I was kidding him about not putting a, a heater in the baby's mouth. And I was also kidding him about making sure he had two hands around the baby. Um, loved, loved his kids and his grandkids. He was so proud of all of them. Brian, an executive with Walmart. Matt, who used to be a, a homicide detective in Tulsa, but had moved on into you know private industry and was doing and is doing really really well. Parker, who had a you know long and distinguished baseball career, just shy of reaching the big leagues, 
fact, I remember when Parker, and George didn't know this was coming, made an appearance at a spring training game for the Rockies, one that we were broadcasting. And, and you know, it was hard for George to get through the inning. He didn't know it was coming. And, and there's Parker on television pitching for the Rockies. And, you know, he had teared up. And um, I'll never forget that moment. And uh, Parker's gone on into coaching and, and lives right there in Tulsa, as does Matt and Brian not far away in Arkansas and Georgia in Tulsa. Also in Georgia, he was so proud. She, she finished in the top 10 in the Miss America pageant um, a few years back and um, really close. And his wife, Kay. And he cared a lot, as I said, about your family. He was not good. He was great to my boys, Jacob, Zach, and Gabe. Knew everything they were doing. Knew where they were in the country. Uh, helped them at different times in their baseball careers. He was amazing. And I wanted to share with you uh, part of a conversation we had on this podcast a couple of years ago, uh, just talking baseball and and uh, reminiscing. You were a character, but who were some of the biggest characters you played with and why? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I mean, there's just certain people like Goose, Goss- Goose Gossage with the Yankees. Great competitor, wonderful guy, but in the locker room, he kept everything light. Yeah. Uh, you know, Oscar Gamble. We called him Gucci Gamble because everything he bought was Gucci, and he had to have a Rolls Royce just like Reggie Jackson's. You know, and I'm thinking, why? You know, Bobby Brown had to have one. Downtown Bobby Brown had to have him a Rolls Royce. Well, he had a guy buy it for him and ship it, and he didn't realize it's a right-hand drive. It's from England, you dummy. Shows what? up, and it's a right-hand drive car. Yeah. I mean, just, you know, you run into these guys everywhere you go. I mean, from Ken Herbeck to Kirby Puckett to... He just did crazy, crazy stuff all the time. Yeah, but those are the guys you remember in the game. Uh, what? You know, Dave, Dave Rigetti. I mean, guys that you remember. Certain stories, somebody will say a name out loud uh, in the food room at Coors Field with eight or nine scouts around. They'll mention the guy's name, and all of a sudden it will trigger six or seven stories with me about that guy. What's your favorite Reggie story? Well, <laughs> 81 playoffs were in Milwaukee eating, and we went downstairs in the Fister to eat in the English room. And it's a very, you know, stuffy, high-profile starch deal. You got to have a coat on, right? You know, you got to, you got to have a coat on. And Reggie didn't have a coat, and it's him and me and Dennis Worth. And we go in there. The guy says, "Mr. Jackson, love to have your business, but you got to have a coat on." We have one, and he just reaches up and grabs one. Reggie probably wore a fifty <laughs> coat. This is like a thirty-eight. He puts it on. He walks over to the table and he goes, I need a little room. He stretches and he pops both sleeves off the jacket and splits it down the back. And he continues to eat his dinner in the, in the jacket. Yeah. But, uh, you know, those those kind of things. Here's something for you about Reggie. He pulls a calf muscle in the 81 playoffs. And Gary Roderick worked for Pony Shoes at the time, and, and Reggie had a big pony deal. So they're trying to figure out how can we take pressure off the heel. Well, he finds a shoemaker down in, in the Bronx that comes in, and he puts like a lift underneath between the cleat and the leather of the shoe. They re-sew it, put this white thing, white strip of foam in there to take the pressure off his heel. There's where your eviated sole came from on all your all your baseball shoes. It was all of a sudden all Nike and all these guys were like, hey, wow, that looks like a good idea. This might work. Let's try it on our shoes. And so Reggie was the first one to do that. Uh, in 1981 playoffs so they could eliminate some of the pressure off his calf muscles so he could play. How'd you get along with Billy Martin? 
we got along great. Um, you know, was was yeah, everybody knows all the drinking stories and everything else. We always loved Sundays because he would obviously stay out all night, sleep on the couch in his uniform, walk out at one thirty for a two fifteen game. The lineup would be on the door, and a do not disturb, and he'd walk out with sunglasses and manage every game like it was the seventh game of the World Series. And and that's one thing about Billy that I loved about him was that he could really manage, and he could really manage people. You know, you hear about all the stories, the fights and all that stuff. That's just a small part of it. I mean, he, he could really manage the locker room, and he could manage the press. Everybody's scared of him. And he managed the ball club. You wanted yeah. to win for him. You know, you wanted to win for that guy when you walked down. On, I remember one time I pitched four days in a row in like eight innings. I walked in his office. I said, Billy, I said, if there's any way you can give me a day today, and he had his glasses on, he put them down, he looked up at me, and he goes, so you're telling me if I need an out in the seventh inning, you can't get me an out to win this baseball game tonight. I said, you got it. I went in and ate, you know, 20 title and all, and here I am. Uh, <laughs> and I ended up getting a double play in the seventh, and he goes, you're done. Told you you could do it. You know, and I'm just like, yeah, I knew I could do it, but I didn't really want to. You know, he goes, you get tomorrow, I'll have to worry about it. Tell me the infamous drunken parakeet story. <laughs> well, I'm playing in the Dominican Republic, and we have a Cuban pitcher that had defected to the United States. He's pitching for the Tigers, and his wife wanted a parakeet. <laughs> I'm like, what are you going to do with a parakeet? First of all, how are you going to get back? You know, you can't bring birds back in the United States. You can't bring fruit back. Oh, you know all the list. Right. I'm like, how are you guys going to get this back? So they start thinking about it. Well, she gets a sanitary sock, which is the long sock you used to wear over underneath your stirrups. And she takes this parakeet and gives us some Dominican rum. And then she ties it in the sanitary, dangling between her legs, tied to her underwear to go through customs. <laughs> and I'm like, so you're for a, a drunken bird that's knocked out because you can't have that thing tweeting when you're going through there. <laughs> Just a drunken bird. Hanging between your legs, passed out, and you could get deported back to Cuba. Are you serious? So about, you know, two or three days passed, I called a guy. I said, hey, you made it through. How's the bird? He goes, dude, the bird didn't wake up for like two days. I said, what? So I took him to the vet. I said, is there anything wrong with this bird? And they told him, told the vet everything they did. He goes, nah, he just drunk, passed out. He'll wake up in a little while. And he did. I don't know if they still got the damn bird or not. 30 years later, they live forever. But I'm thinking, why would you risk being deported back to Cuba and have a drunk bird hanging between your legs as you walk through customs with a dress on? Do you know how many times I wanted to have you tell that story on the air? But our good buddy, Kenny Miller, who was our executive producer, he would always, when I started going down that path, I would immediately get a text. Don't let Frazier tell that story. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, you can't do that kind of stuff. Everybody get mad at you. Yeah, it, it, you'd have all the bird people getting really upset with you and the animal lovers, and I get it, and I understand. Yeah. And that along with Rennie Stennett taking me up in the mountains to a voodoo doctor to get his leg worked on. You wouldn't get out of that car, though, right? I would not get out of the car, and I rolled the windows up and locked the door. That dude come out of that tent with smoke and the horns come out of his head. I'm done. I'm staying right here in this car. You can go in there, but I'm staying right here. He came in there. He came back out. He played pretty good for a couple of days. And then it started hurting again. The old witch doctor. Yeah, I'm out on the witch doctor thing. I miss hearing some of those. I also thought I would uh, reach out to one of my partners, Ryan Spielborgs, and, and get his thoughts and, and memories of Frage. You know, I've been reminiscing, as we all have the last couple of days, about Frage. 
and I guess this is a really positive thing in a horrible situation that when we've talked, we're always smiling and we're retelling stories <laughs> and that's a hell of a legacy. I mean, that's what you want, right? Like to be remembered by friends. I was joking uh, with you the other day, you know, like George wouldn't want us to be sad if, if he passed away, he'd want us to eat some bacon and like, <laughs> you know, the, the, I, it's so funny, like all the friends uh, and we have like all these different logs and people were sharing funny George stories. So, I mean, that's, that's kind of, I, I like saying like you live your own dash, you know, you, from, from when he was born to when he passed away, like his dash was his own. And I, I, I oftentimes, you know, you, you kind of, you hope that you have a life where people, if you do, and when you do pass that, that people are like, you know, it brings the best out of them, you know, whether they're telling funny stories or, uh, you know, like they, they know it's a celebration. It's not sadness. It's not true sadness. I mean, you're sad that he's gone, but then you, you get the chance to like, recant and retell and, and, you know, the, the memory of, of that person comes to life. Uh, and so like when, when George passed the other day, I had all these fond memories, which were, which were great. Like I, I did not feel sadness. I wasn't sad. Uh, I was, I was like, man, like, I'm really glad that I got a chance to know George, um, because it, he made me laugh. He made, made me laugh all the time. Do you have and we all have certain stories. Do you have a Do you have a story or two or three that instantly come to mind? I mean, the the story he tells <laughs> of, of when he's a, when he's at the courthouse. You know, the, the famous, <laughs> infamous Cook County courthouse story. Yeah, the Cook County courthouse story. And then he's. I mean, there's there's some that that are just private. You can't share, but like I mean, he was a maniac when it was, as a baseball player, and some of the stuff he did early on in his career, uh, you know, you hear about it and you're like, come on, that can't be true. Uh, and, and it's funny too, like he had he had a really good sense for for like watching and understanding the game. Like he was a he was a teacher of baseball and pitching, and like uh, you know, Jeff Francis reached out because Francis and, and George would have breakfast all the time. And, uh, like George was, was kind of a mentor to, to Jeff Francis as, as a, as a broadcaster, which is pretty cool from, from my perspective. Cause I didn't know what the role is of, of a broadcaster with a baseball player. So it was like really important for me to see that aspect of George, like, wait, you can have relationships with the players. You can, you can be friendly. You can still be critical of the game, but not make it personal. And then you can have a relationship of, of imparting wisdom. Cause it's not like George wasn't a good baseball player. <laughs> he was, he was a very, very good baseball player. And so for, to, to understand that relationship with Jeff and George, and then knowing, you know, I, we used to see George in the clubhouse all the time. He was always eating in the back room with tiny. <laughs> and I was always thinking to myself, I was like, why the hell is, Get this broadcaster out of here until I started to learn uh, of George's career. I was like, oh, well, he's not. He's, he's one of you. He's one of us. Yeah. yeah, he's one of us. And and that that is like that's really empowering for for a player when you do have when you do move on from from playing to becoming something else and then see somebody that that was you and that is still accepted within the clubhouse because that that's the hardest part for us baseball players is when we stop playing is that we don't, we don't have a clubhouse anymore. And so you, and you feel foreign, uh, in the clubhouse and George certainly showed that it, it no, that you're part of the clubhouse. And in fact, you're allowed to eat with the players if you want to. 
All right, I'm going to bounce around real quick. So we just saw one of your old teammates and a good friend of yours, Aaron Cook, um, recently. And Cookie told us that, speaking of, I, I know how Jeff Francis, Franny, as, you, as, you, as he's known, how close he was with George. Cookie told us that he was one, during his career, George was one of the three most impactful people in his career in terms of he would talk about mechanics with him. Mm -hmm. He would talk about the mental side with him. This is George as a broadcaster. No one would know this. And it's not a slight at anybody who's a pitching coach or whatever who was employed as such. But that's how much trust guys like Jeff Francis, guys like Aaron Cook had in George Frazier, television analyst of the Rockies. Yeah. And that, that's that's what stood out. Right. Like that's that's what I mean, I, the, the broadcaster George was great. You know, I, I, we, we have all the, the liners that he had. I, I still think the deer with headlights on is the funniest <laughs> one ever. Uh, but I mean, to think about, he was so good at his craft. He was, he was a base, he was a pitching coach that was, that was broadcasting. And I, and I remember, you know, hearing about his son Parker or, you know, he's showing us pictures of Georgia and he was a father, you know, he was all those things. And, and ultimately like he cared for, for the people that he was around. Uh, he, you know, he shared his time, which is always so, you know, invaluable. We, we don't get time back. Um, but to share his knowledge like he did with other players and to hear, you know, a cookie or a Francis or anybody else that says like, this guy was really important for me. Um, that is, I mean, that, that gives you a sense of, of who George is. And, and I think the last part about that is there's certain people, uh, that can speak your language in a way that doesn't feel like they're talking down to you or that they're really coaching you. They're just having a conversation and you, you take from there what you want. And I think that's what made George so special, uh, especially as a broadcaster, as a, as a coach, as a friend is that he was, he was just there, you know, he was there to, to impart some, <clears throat> Some wisdom and and just be a good friend, be a good listener, and a bit and a, and a really and a hell of a good talker. Exactly, and and I think you'd be pissed at us right now if we didn't do our best to uh, to make other people laugh. So we'll go back to the Cook County Courthouse story for a moment. Before that, by the way, some great Frasers. You said a deer with headlights on. He would say, and you're like, what? And then how about you know a guy a guy can't reach a slider away and he punches out. He goes, he couldn't hit that. Instead of with a boat paddle, which we'd all understand, it was a hundred mile an hour boat paddle, which I still can't quite Doesn't figure make out. Sense. Yeah, it makes zero sense. So right. he, he had his, his Oklahoma, uh, you know, Oklahoma isms. Uh, I always loved, you know, if, if we did call him, I would always answer. If, if, uh, if I called him, he would answer. And I always knew where he was. Uh, he was on his ranch on a, on a tractor bailing hay, you know, <laughs> and, and so, and then he, he'd, he'd be in like mid sentence and he was like, Hey, so-and-so is on the other line. I gotta, gotta go. go. <laughs> exactly. Hang up on you right away. Oh God. So the Cook County courthouse story very quickly, I'll give you the cliff notes version. And this is like a legendary story in baseball, certainly broadcasting circles. I remember Matt Vaskersian like tracking me down a number of years ago. He goes, I heard you tell that story really well. You got to tell me the, the Frazier Cook County courthouse story. So here it is. George is pitching for the Cubs. He befriends an attorney in town. Now, folks, remember, this is Chicago, Illinois. This is not Bumbleep, Arkansas, okay? <laughs> Chicago, Illinois, pretty big city. Cook County Courthouse. George would say, he just throwed lines in too, Billy, like, 
um, it, you know, you go and get in the elevator and he talks so fast. You go, you know, burglaries on the third floor, rapes on the fourth floor, murders on the fifth floor. And you're like, stop. You're like, is that there's no numbers on the on the elevator? That's just it just says, oh, murder. So I go to the this floor. Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the the the, uh, the details of the story were so outlandish that you, you're like, OK, there, there's not fourth floor murders. This isn't a dentist office. <laughs> it's crazy. So he's doing this drug case. He's his buddy, Bobby. And George is sitting there as co-counsel. So immediately you're like, wait a second, Frazier's not a lawyer. I know that. He may be a clubhouse lawyer, but he's not a real lawyer. And now he's sitting there like co-counsel. And all of a sudden, his buddy Bobby tells him to cross-examine the witness. <laughs> and he's cross-examining. And he, and he says, did you see the drug transaction? And the guy said, yeah. And he said, well, we measured. You were at Fourth and Elm. And the drug transaction supposedly took place at Third and Elm. You wear glasses, right? And the guy says, yeah. And he goes, what's your vision? He goes, 2,400. He goes, well, with 2,400. 400 vision, you couldn't have seen the drug <laughs> transaction. The judge slams the gavel down, case dismissed, and you're cracking up and you're going, wait a second, wasn't there a jury? Or did the judge then look at Frazier and go, hey, didn't you blow the lead in the eighth inning last night of the Cubs game? In a World Series three times in a row? Yeah, I mean, like that's that is the beauty of George Frazier. And I, I still I still believe the story, even though it does not sound it sounds more like he watched uh my cousin Vinny and and then recanted it as his own, but uh, he'll be missed, but at the same time, uh, we can't forget him. I mean, he's he lives in us with his stories and with uh, with some of his great memories. Yeah, Spilly, I appreciate it, man. Yeah, love you, buddy. Thanks for indulging me this week as I talk about my dear friend and, and partner, and I think um, that caring and and that character, you know, blew through the screen into your living rooms and and. You, I'm sure, felt a kinship and a warmth from from George, even for those that never met him, never truly got to know him, just from watching him all those years on Rocky's broadcast. And uh, he was a heck of a broadcaster as well, uh, because he could break a game down and intertwine the intricacies of the game, the strategy of the game, with some legendary stories and he was entertaining and at the end of the day that's what sports is about that's why we watch games to be entertained and from an announcer standpoint he was most entertaining but he also uh, could teach and you learn new things um, as well from George they broke the mold when uh, when they built old George Frazier and as we close this week, I just want to say, Frage, thanks for the memories and for the stories that will bring for me and for so many everlasting laughter and always put a smile on our faces. And that is a tremendous legacy. I love you, partner. Rest easy.